everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Science's Declassified STEM Survival Guide podcast. My name is Ramir. We are back officially this year. And as you can see, my co-host has changed this year. Audrey has graduated and moved on to the bigger things in life. And I'm really happy for We're really happy for her. Uh, so Audrey, wherever you are, I hope you're doing well. But I'd like to introduce my new co-host for this year, none other than... Andre Camo, he is a fourth year microbio. Actually, I'm gonna save that introduction for yourself. Tell us about yourself, Andre. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Hey guys, so my name is Andre, and I, like Ramir said, I'm in my fourth year of a microbiology major. I currently am applying to med school. I actually did my interviews last week, and they went well. So hopefully, this is bittersweet, but like hopefully, it's my last year at LTS, and then I'll go into medicine. <laughs> And yeah, uh, how are you though, Ramir? How how's it been? How how am I? How am I? Yeah, we haven't been uh, talking in no, a long time. No, you've been so busy. Yeah. I actually, I'm not even at U of M anymore at, right now. I uh, moved to University of Winnipeg, but you know, I I wanted to keep the podcast going, and you know, we talked about oh, did we want to do some episodes? And oh yeah, I'd be glad to help. But yeah. right now. We're currently winter break in the upcoming week, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to be catching up with school and maybe doing some hobbies, music, something like that. But yeah, you produce otherwise, music, right? Yes, I do. I don't want to plug too much, but <laughs> not singing though. Not unless if I'm like showering or something. But anyways, what about you? How how have you been, Andre? Yeah, well, LTS has been very busy, and in addition to school, actually, we are on break as well. Next week, I'm heading to Banff to ski, so that'll be a good break. Skiing? Uh, oh, that's something oh, yeah. I want to learn. Man. Yeah, it's and a, also it's a Banff. tough skill. Banff yeah, it's really beautiful. fun. Yeah, but with LTS, uh, there's been so many things. Uh, we have been virtual again. Uh, instead of the proposed plan to move back in person. So that's unfortunate, but we do want to keep that social responsibility, right, of keeping everyone safe. And speaking of LTS, Ramir, our guest today is very special, isn't she? Very special indeed. And uh, if I may, I'd like to introduce our guest. Actually, it's just a short introduction we have with us today, the one and the only founder and president of Let's Talk Science, Dr. Bonnie Schmidt. And, uh, you know, she has always been into uh, science literacy. And actually, I don't even want to say that much in the introduction. <laughs> we'll just save it for the questions uh, later on. But welcome to our podcast, Dr. Bonnie Schmidt. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm actually calling in from my home office. You know, Andrea talked about closing down. I've been working at home now for close to two years. I'm in London, Ontario, and I, I think we could be in Winnipeg today. We have such a blustery, snowy day here, so yeah. I'm thrilled to be here talking to you too. It's great. No, no, thank you so much for being with us today. It's such an honor to have the president and founder. And really what we wanted to get out of this podcast is to get to know you more and about the organization more. But before we begin with those juicy questions, let's do a bit of a quick fire, if that's okay with you. Sure, I'll bring it. So, there we go. So I got a list of questions <laughs> here that uh, a lot of our uh, fellow coordinators and some volunteers have provided it with us. So we'll just go, we'll just go with the flow here. And so I'll start it off. So right now with the amount of TV shows present, you know, there's like Netflix, right. And the different platforms, what's your favorite TV show? Yellowstone hands down. I'm like totally oh, into it. I just discovered I... it as well. So like I'm only in, I uh, just made it into season three. <laughs> It's crazy. It's awesome. It's about a family in Montana. It's Kevin Costner. Oh. And it is like the craziest group of people that are out in Montana protecting the land. <laughs> but that gives oh, you a wow. little bit more insight into me than you might actually. Want to have. <laughs> I'll look into this. Yeah. Sure. It's a good show. Yeah, this, this is on Apple TV, if I'm not mistaken, right? It's Prime. It's on Amazon. Oh, Prime. Prime. Oh, Prime. Okay. Okay. Prime. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that response. Uh, next question is, who is one person that inspires you? 
Oh, it's good, good that you put one because there's lots of people that inspire me. But I'm going to give a plug for a young man who lives in Nepal. His name is Surgeon BC. And later we'll talk a little bit about some of the work that we're doing in Nepal. But he started a whole new organization back in 2017 called STEM Foundation Nepal. And it was shortly after he came to Canada and actually participated in our Canada 2067 you know, wow. that initiative we did to look at the future of STEM education. And if you could imagine, he left his job as an administrator in a public school or a private school in Nepal, has set up a charitable foundation and is replicating some of the work that we're doing in one of the most impoverished countries in the world. So Surgeon really is inspiring. He's got an amazing group of people and really supports kids in a country that's often forgotten about. That's awesome. I, f- I definitely, he seems like a very influential person. Can't imagine how inspired you must have been just reading on his work and everything. And that's, yeah. I feel like that's important too, you know, uh, like reaching the further, mm-hmm. as you said, the imp- more impoverished countries feel like it'll really help start teaching there and uh, applying what, you know, we do here. Yeah. Isn't it Anyways. amazing though, that, that somebody saw what we were doing, like oh, yeah. all the volunteers and right, yeah. this little country, like they just got public education in the sixties and the 1960s. Wow. Right. It's almost fully rural. Mount Everest is there. So you think about, you know, the tourism and Surgeon and his team is really out there trying to get these kids who typically will leave Nepal to get their post-secondary education. How can he keep them in the country and help to build an economy that's STEM focused? For sure. And really at the end, it's for equitable access to the education. Yeah. Really important. Awesome. Thank you for that one and then the next one is more related to a bit of the restrictions lifting right now and so if everything is lifted in most countries and it's safe to travel what is one country you would like to visit i would like to go to nepal i really would the the, seeing the pictures that i get sent i'm I'm absolutely delighted and hope to one day be able to go there i was actually looking at me and my friend uh we're into hiking and Mm -hmm. We saw this, uh, we were never going to do an Everest hike. That would be too much. But there is this thing called an Everest base camp hike. Mm -hmm. So you go from, I think, from one of the airports, uh, one of the, I forgot which town it was, but it's like a two-week trip going and back, and you're just slowly gaining elevation. Mm -hmm. That's something I would really want to consider. But yeah, that, that place is very, I don't know, there's also a lot of spiritual attachments Mm-hmm. as well so i think very very great place to go to I've, I've met a couple of people in a university when i moved there um people from nigeria and there's this one guy that i had a lab with and he was teaching me the the language there and apparently they have their own like you know how in in english for example you have like your cool slang if you're if you're too cool mm-hmm. to say one word you like say a shortcut apparently they have that there too and um there's a certain way that they speak their own language that uh that is the cool way to say it as he puts it so i think that's one of the things that i'm interested to is like linguistics and i think it's good to like move to different countries just to learn about that so you're interested but in going to nigeria then Ramirez? Is that- nigeria is uh yeah, yeah it's, cool. i just yeah. been from what he's been saying is like it's very interesting but uh anyways thank you for that the really really good place to go to hopefully we could go there pretty soon <laughs> Um, but next question is three things you cannot live without. Ah, uh, yeah. So I'm sad to say my phone is my one. Coffee, although I never drank coffee till yes. I was in my thirties. Now I'm pretty sure I'm addicted to it in the morning. Ice, ice or warm coffee. Oh, warm coffee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Early more. I'm an early morning person. And so maybe it's more routine than addiction, but definitely yeah. need my coffee. So I'd be hard pressed without it and warm socks. I, I swear. Ooh. I'm, I'm never, I'm never yes. warm. <laughs> so no, warm socks. I get cold so <laughs> no. Yeah. Warm socks. Definitely the way uh, to go. Yeah. I actually got some holiday socks over Christmas. Uh, they have like the purple lining inside and they're called, oh, yeah. I forgot what they're called, but they're, you can, they're like wearable socks that are like slippers. Oh yeah. Like so, the reading um, socks, right? You've seen yeah, them. They're really, yeah, really thick. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, I love those. I love those. <laughs> All right. Well, the next one is, these are actually really good quick fire questions. So the next one is, what is your secret talent? I make pretty good chocolate chip oatmeal cookies. Oh, uh-huh. Well, we should, we yeah. should get to try those. Yeah. And maybe in the next time we some... can actually get the coordinators to town for a conference. Yes. We'll have to do yes. a bit of baking, right? Can I still come? Even though I'm... Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for you know, sure. what you maybe don't realize is once you are in the Let's Talk Science family, you never get away. No. And Andre, yeah. you know, medical students are acceptable volunteers. Oh, and yeah. so we yeah. don't want to <laughs> no, lose do. you, even though, you know, we want you into med school, right? Yeah, we do have uh, the medical school, the med service learning, and we get some med students who actually volunteer with us. And so we cater some of our opportunities to med students as well. I think uh, one of our site coordinators, Samantha, she's organizing uh, potentially a, a med, med student takeover on, an, on our Instagram account or even hosting like a panel night. So yeah, a lot of opportunities. We have I've been so inspired by the the teams right across the country, right? Like we we didn't have nearly as many volunteers active this year because when the universities and the colleges shut down, not only did we lose our schools, but we lost so much of our volunteer base. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. the the sites did, you did, the the coordinators and leaders across the country did an unbelievable job, like keeping people together and keeping you all active. It, it truly was an amazing thing for me to be able to watch and hear stories about what was happening truly inspiring thank you and thank you also and on behalf of the rest of the team also but yeah i'm really proud of uh what lts has accomplished Mm -hmm. and uh yeah moving on to the next question what is a book that you think that everyone should read yeah that was uh i i it's a it's a kind of a heavy book but it's called white fragility and it's by robin d'angelo so the last couple of years yeah so you know, the last couple of years have been uh, have been challenging from a leadership perspective. And although Let's Talk Science from day one has been deeply committed to issues around equity and accessibility, there's not that many kids in this country, right? So the, the whole point implicitly as an organization has been, how do we actually get all six and a half million kids in this country engaged? But over the last couple of years, we've realized just how much more needs to change. And it can be a really, really difficult conversation to host and to encourage. And when I found this book, it actually is a a surprisingly easy read. And it really lays out some really interesting discussion dialogue about privilege, about how do you have conversations around anti-racism and whatnot. So, you know, the the book's covering a pretty intense topic, but in a really accessible way. So I learned a lot and helped to frame opportunities to have conversations. So I think with the, especially the outreach volunteers across the country who are such an amazingly committed group of, of people who want to change kids' lives, Books like that are super important for having conversations. Yes, I, I definitely agree. This is actually one of the topics that we had for our interviews. And I really appreciate the fact that when it comes to these topics, while it is hard to discuss and actually talk about, mm-hmm. the first step of actually tackling the problem is talking about it and making space mm-hmm. for the emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that allows you to actually start realizing and being aware of these is to accept it yourself. And really these, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, to have like these systemic changes, it has to begin with the self, really. Absolutely. A lot of work inside and it's, it's yes. hard work, right? It's hard work. Yes. Definitely going to pick that up at uh, chapters. Yeah. I would today, but it's Blizzard. So you can order it online. They'll deliver it <laughs> yeah, right to you. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll cut it down to two more questions. Any inspirational movies for you? Um, yeah. The uh, a really good movie that I quite enjoyed was Hidden Figures. Like I, you know, I had no Ooh. idea of those women those in NASA. Women? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Remember the amazing mathematicians and the computers, right? In the early days of the computers, yes. there were these women who were unbelievable mathematicians who really had no, like nobody who knew about them. Right. So that movie, fantastic. I've, I've seen it a couple of times, loved it, inspires, inspires me. 
for sure. Mm-hmm. One, then, one movie that I've been seeing like a lot is uh, the Interstellar movie. I don't know if you guys seen that. I but, love Interstellar. Yeah, I've rewatched it like three times, but I love it. Okay. It's about, on the on the to watch list. I love movies. Yes. So it's about. <laughs> let me try to not spoil it. it it's about uh, so the Earth basically is in the famine. So our planet is dying essentially, and they're looking into the stars to find different planets to host life. The entire movie just focuses on that journey and the emotions, the, the actors, the score. Hans Zimmer did oh the my. score. So. Thank you for bringing was, that up. Music. It was it is so good. I, I really highly yeah. recommend it. So up to our last question. Bonnie, what's a day in your life like? <laughs> in front of Zoom an awful lot right now. Um, <laughs> so I think typically, like before COVID, I actually was on the road probably half my time. So I, I traveled quite a bit, oh. which meant that a typical day wasn't a typical day um, traveling. Mostly in Canada, but a little bit of international stuff had happened. But I, you know, if we go back to the kind of original three R's, mine would be reading, writing, and reviewing. <laughs> I got lots of stuff to read, lots of things to be thinking about that the team's working on. And although, you know, it's pretty glib to say I'm in meetings most of the time, I am, but it's really oh, yes. exciting uh, opportunities to work with teams that are doing amazing things to meet people outside of Let's Talk Science and hear what they're doing. A lot of my job is around strategy, government relations, and working with external partners. So, Typical day, lots of meetings, not typical day, what we talk about and who I'm talking with. That seems like a lot in a day. I definitely, my day is like shower and then go to class. <laughs> I, I have For early mornings, hence the coffee, right? Yeah, long yes. days, uh, but right. really interesting, you know, really, you- really interesting, amazing people. Do you get time to decompress though? Because like for me personally, when I have like what I have built into my routine is when the clock strikes 1030, I stop, I cease all activity and just try to relax that day. Do you have any, some sort of decompression sure. or some person? So you're talking 1030 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at night. <laughs> um, I, I, yes. I, I, it's really, really important for people to find some kind of a balance or work life integration, right? So it's yes. not so much that it has to be, it's okay to pull things together. So if there's things that you really like to do and you can make it part of your work day, you should do that. Um, I used to own a horse, and so I would actually get into the barn regularly, but I don't have one now. I do yoga, and so I like to get out as many days as as I can to get out to the yoga studio. Love to watch movies, as we talked about before. I like to go hiking as well, so I absolutely do try to make time every day to carve out something, right? You can't you can't just focus on work or school or you will ultimately yes. burn out. You got to figure right. out what's the right yes. kind of rate of, of go. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think one of the main things, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is how to actually distinguish or identify burnout. Because sometimes mm-hmm. it could be, for me at least, it just felt like, oh, I'm just tired. I'll just take a break. Hmm. but it it was the break should have been longer right and i didn't even know it was already burning out and it was more of a chronic exhaustion because uh coming into the school year for me personally i did the mcat over the summer and i did uh research as well so Mm -hmm. coming into the school year was like i only had two weeks off really in the summer and went back to school so i didn't realize that uh, i lost motivation and i didn't have any uh, drive so i decided to take it easy and yeah to the sooner you can it, yeah. see those signs in yourself, the better off you will be throughout your career, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 roller coasters, right? Sometimes there's yes. periods of really intense stress because you're working to deadlines, you've got really big projects. Usually for me, the stress is something external that you can't really control. So you're waiting to find out about something. And it's really, really important as early in your career as you can that you start to see trigger yes. signs and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. So it's good that you did that all right so i think that's all we have for rapid fire which (laughs) took longer than i expected but we enjoyed the conversation nonetheless so now we go to our content questions and 
really the first thing that we want to ask you about LTS is how did it all start? How did LTS become what it is today? Well, I'm going to start by just telling you the story of failure, and then I'll tell you a little bit about Let's Talk Science. But I don't have a business background, right? And when I was in, I think in elementary school, you know how people would always say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right, that terrible yeah. question. I got some yeah, that yeah. question when I was a kid, and for I don't even know how, but somehow I locked on to the idea that I wanted to be a dentist. Like I didn't know anybody in my family, but I knew I didn't want to be a doctor, and I enjoyed science, right? And uh, so I thought, okay, that would be good. That got everybody off my back. So when they say, "What do you want to oh, be yeah. when you grow up?" When you're you yeah. know ten years old, I want to be a dentist. Oh, that's a good, good job, right? <laughs> so yeah. I somehow like locked onto that. And through high school, I actually had my entire peer group of of other girls, other so teens, in in high school, all were interested in science. So I never thought about anything else. And I went through high school, did quite well, got an entrance scholarship into Western, again, still thinking dentistry, nothing else, just yeah. dentistry. And then I failed in first year. I failed calculus. I failed physics. I got a C in chemistry, a B in biology. Didn't do very well, right? <laughs> so that was not a good first year. Um, managed to get everything back and together. Um, so I did a, I did a five-year undergrad because I basically just said, okay, well, that year kind of sucked. <laughs> I'm just not going to look at that again. <laughs> yeah. And still had this advice that, sure, if you get your marks back up, and I did, I got back up to A's and everything. I was good. I could do dentistry. Well, so comes to the end of my undergrad, again, still never thinking of any other particular pathway. And like the MCAT, there's a dental aptitude test. Yeah. Adapt, so a dad, yeah. right. Yeah. The dental aptitude test. And I did great on the content side of it and I failed the dexterity thing. So like as part of oh. dentistry, you need to have good spatial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have it. <laughs> so, so I failed the manual part twice. So it was oh. like, what am I going to do? And I had never thought about any other alternative pathway. So I had actually done well with a supervisor in my undergrad thesis project who basically said, well, while you're figuring out your life and your plan B, come and do a master's. The master's turned into a PhD. And it was at that place in time when I thought, you know, I better start thinking about plan B stuff. And I began to get involved in a variety of committees. I got involved in... um, extracurricular activities. I even took a part-time job where I was bartending. So I actually was a bartender on Friday nights in a little Irish pub in London. Yeah. My last day bartending was the week I did my PhD dissertation, but that's another story we can dig into (laughs) if you want. And about halfway through that graduate experience, because I was involved in other faculty committees and whatnot, I learned more about the recession and the impact of the recession in the early 90s and the impact on thing for scientific research. So at that point in time, there was no outreach happening. There was no university that had like an outreach department in Canada. And so at the time in the early 90s, when I was probably about the third year of my PhD, we're hearing the science community bemoaning the fact that people didn't understand the value of research for Canadian Mm. future. And all sorts of different ideas started to percolate around the faculty. And I went back to my graduate student colleagues and said, why don't we just see if teachers in London want to do something? (laughs) Like it was no master plan. But that was the beginning of Let's Talk Science. So it was reaching out to teachers in London and basically just said, I know you think we're an ivory tower, but we're not. Do you want to access the university? And so it was very, very simple, very simple beginnings. And then over the next couple of years, other universities and other graduate students and other uh, parts of Ontario basically saw what we were doing, wanted to get in and do similar things. And that really was the beginning of, of Let's Talk Science, which in the very, very, very first year in 1991 was called Physiology Outreach. And then in the oh. second year, because it was like six of us in physiology yeah, that were reaching yeah. out and doing stuff in London and just helping out. And then in the second year, we had like 27 departments across Western 
students oh, wow. who wanted to get involved as volunteers. One of those in year two is now on my board and she's president of the university. Oh, so it's pretty cool. That's amazing. To, that yeah, is amazing. to get to know yeah. that. But that was really the start. It was largely about how do we just open up the university to be more um, receiving and more welcoming to yeah. schools in the community. It was pretty simple beginnings and there was nothing awesome. to model on because there was nothing there. Oh, oh, so wow. so there weren't any kind of organizations that there were that were present in the past that you kind of modeled it. So it was really no, there was nothing that we modeled novel. off of. There was a, a couple of the universities that had started doing summer camps in science mm -hmm. or engineering. So there was a, a little bit of that, and the engineers were just starting to think in the same way of people don't understand engineering and what the opportunities are. So. There was there's a couple of us at the university level that were starting at these little projects. And so we all ended up kind of growing at, at similar times, but we've definitely become the largest. Awesome. Yeah. It's also interesting that you mentioned that LTS uh, was originally physiology outreaches. Because mm -hmm. I do TA for physiology this term. And so yeah. all lines up. Yeah. I really enjoy teaching physiology, well, anatomy and physiology too. So. I can understand why there was that initial uh, push for physiology as well. What was me? My department was physiology. So I was doing yeah. my PhD in physiology, right? And so it was just, okay, yes. who do I know? It wasn't like I was mm -hmm. wildly ambitious to try to set up my you know, future career path. I never thought yeah. about this as a plan B. Right? <laughs> I was still, yeah. what am I going to do? And never would have thought that 30 years later that the organization would still be around and be i'd still be around with it oh yeah it's mm -hmm. crazy mm -hmm. so did you expect lts to become the organization it was today or really yeah. it was no i i was actually again because i was in my phd when i started it i was still looking to postdoc mm -hmm. so oh, yeah. i had fully intended just to leave Western, probably go to mm -hmm. the States. I was looking at some interesting opportunities there when it was at that point in time that uh, the Dean of Medicine at the time had shown quite a lot of interest uh, with what I was doing. And somebody from a foundation in London who had access to funding actually came to talk to me to say, oh, wow. we've heard, yeah, you'd never hear stories like this That's nowadays, crazy. but yeah. So she's no longer with us, but Joan was the executive director of the Lawson Foundation, and she had heard about some of the work that was happening with Let's Talk Science. It was called that at the time. And she was the one who, through the Lawson Foundation, actually found me my postdoc money, you know, two years of salary. And the senior admin at Western allowed me to you know, set up shop there. And so that kind of That's became crazy. my full time job still never really committing to it. Like I was working really hard, but I kept thinking, oh, I'll go back and I'll do a postdoc in two years. I'll just see where this goes. Yeah, but and, it just kept growing. And, and yeah, and then just never really looked back, but didn't consciously make the decision until probably 1996 that, yeah, I was going to give this a, ton, a go. So 91 to 96. I was doing it. I was working hard, but it wasn't like, okay, this is it. Let's, yeah. let's go. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. That's really wonderful to hear. And here we are. It all circled back to this very moment of us. <laughs> and now we're asking you questions about it. <laughs> and now you're taking it on. It's just it's so, it's so amazing to, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it makes me feel a bit old sometimes when I'm up in front of the coordinators at the national conference, right? And I find out that there's coordinators <laughs> who first experienced Let's Talk Science when they were in elementary school. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> But that that, kind of, that should feel good too, no? Oh, right? It's amazing. Yeah, you've known these people, and these are the people that you were thinking about. That oh, I want to, you know, science literacy, and then now they're coordinators in your team. So it, but, it is yeah, great. Th mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that, absolutely, Bonnie. And also the fact that you weren't really sure if your path was going to be a straight path, but you know, it just worked out in the end. Uh, but now we're moving on to more about yourself and the organizations that you uh, have been involved in. Part of my research uh, when I was looking into, you know, the organizations you've been involved in was uh, that you were the founding co-chair of the Science and Technology Awareness Network, mm -hmm. uh, otherwise known as STAN. 
Uh, I just wanted to ask you, why have you made it an interest or uh, we say a, a goal to not only advance science and technology across the globe, but also educate people about it? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Stan, it was Stan came about at a point in time where there was quite a lot of growth in the outreach community. So in the early '90s, when I started Let's Talk Science, there the, like was no competition. Right there, there was nothing happening. But within 10 to 15 years, there actually was quite a growth in the number of organizations, and now it's actually it's huge. There's a, a huge number. And it became important to me. Collaboration has always been a, a hugely important core value to me and to Let's Talk Science as an organization. So with Stan, we were able to put together a framework that brought those organizations that wanted to work together together. And that was really the essence of it. My co-founder at the time was actually at the Toronto District School Board, Mars Block, and she then left there and came to Let's Talk Science. So she actually worked as a colleague for quite a number of years. And uh, that was that was really great to, to get Stan up and running. It's still going strong now, which is really great to see. On the broader question about just why, I think, you know, when I started it, it really was to appease this goal within the university environment to have a better connection with the community. And it wasn't until I actually got out and started developing programs and working with teachers that I thought, wow, like this is more important than I ever thought. This isn't just about making the university more accessible. This is about changing kids' lives. And it's not about science as the endpoint. It's about helping kids build the skills and the identities that they need to be successful and to be able to contribute. And it just so happens that science is powerful. And when I say science, I mean, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, that bigger, broader STEM area. But one, science is a way of looking at our world that helps us gain value about learning how our world works and in and of itself is just really important and motivating, right? So kids like to know how their world works. So science is helping kids just stay engaged in learning. Just pure and simple. It's really interesting if you do it well, which you folks do. It's really interesting and exciting. But secondly, you know, science and tech are underscoring and underpinning all the big global challenges that we're we're dealing with climate change. How do you feed Definitely. the world? How do you do potable water to everybody, right? So you kind of have this double winning thing. It's just so important to appreciate life. And it's so important for being an active contributor, even if you never become a scientist, but you got to be a citizen. And so oh, for me, yeah. it's actually yeah. become more important and more motivating to me the older I get and the more that I see how crazy the world is right now that our mission is so important i agree i agree and uh i must say also that you know, the the organization has absolutely been doing a good job at least in my experience with the u of m and how uh, uh our team also uh when i was a part of it handled the covid stuff and we mm-hmm. sent out static videos but uh, I just want to build on the uh, that uh, idea that you said about you know how it is important for the youth to learn this, especially now, right? And uh, mm-hmm. the the more as as time goes on, you know, technology advances, and the more knowledge that we need in order to solve you know these future problems as well. Uh, there's this publication I found from uh, Let's Talk Science in Amgen, Canada. Mm-hmm. It's called the uh, A Benchmark of Canadian Talent. And this is where you analyze why youth stop pursuing science once they are no longer uh, required to take it, such as in our case, at least in Manitoba, or I don't know if it's the whole Canada, but in after grade 10, they're no longer required to take science. It's, it's an elective now, right? right? In contrast, the publication also proposes different methods on how to increase percentages of the youth continuing in STEM. So I just want to ask you to talk a little bit about the publication, but more importantly, for you yourself personally, how did you find the passion and interest in STEM and how did you keep yourself uh, you know, curious and interested in, in science? Yeah. So with um with me personally, I you know, I've been more interested in helping 
other people understand the nature and process of science. So I just, I, I guess I'm innately curious and I've had wonderful opportunities to learn from people who are at the front end of doing the discoveries and the inventions. And so that's just really exciting just to find out what's possible, what's happening, who's behind it, you know, the people and minds that are, are thinking about it. And so that's actually just kept me going. Um, not so much the textbook reading, right, but hearing podcasts, hearing inventors, uh, meeting people who are doing pretty amazing things. So that's just, it's, uh, and it's always new, it's always changing. So for me, that keeps it really fresh. When it comes to the spotlight report that you talked about, it was really building on some work that had happened probably in the mid 2000s when the OEC realized that there was declining enrollment at post-secondary level, and they couldn't figure out why in developed countries there was a decline at the university level of people taking STEM. So again, this was a while ago because we're, we've been on an uptick here for the last few years. But at that point in time, they did a study trying to understand why was this happening? Because in developing countries, it was the opposite. You know, people were seeing science as a way up, a way out. And so there was really, really great participation. But the work that they had done with countries like Canada and the U.S. was uh, barriers to kids staying involved were around a lack of role models, a lack of perceived relevance. Like, why is this relevant to my life now? It was a huge yes. issue for kids in, in countries in which they found the technology in their backpack, right, and weren't motivated to take it apart or figure out how to be inventors. Uh, there was also concerns around the, the, the breadth and the depth of the curriculum. So there's just so much, right? How do you actually do that so kids get disengaged with it? And then the other thing they found was a lack of understanding of the pathways, so what are the jobs that are available before, you know, other than the traditional doctor, dentist, right? So I came, thought a dentist, because if you're going to have a science degree, there's about four jobs you can have. You know, when I was back then. <laughs> yeah. So those are some of the key, the key barriers. And with the spotlight reports, we wanted to dig into it more to tell the story in a different way. We wanted to look at the economic environment. We wanted to look at where the jobs are, and we wanted to take a look at what are the barriers that are keeping kids out of it, and how could we, as society, as Let's Talk Science, help to you know, change that disconnect and, and help kids see that with the science background, the good STEM training, they don't have to become a researcher, but they'll have way more opportunities available if they stick with it through those optional credits. And that was really a first opportunity for us to try to tell the story differently, right? Because up until then, people were just saying, take science, it's good for you, you know, eat your peas, you'll be able to make lots of money because you'll get a career as whatever, right? So we wanted to change too, the so. narrative, right? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. And really at the end, once you have a lot of individuals who want to go into STEM, it kind of feeds back on itself. When people are already interested, they share this interest and passion. For me personally, when I teach, when I got one of my feedbacks for anatomy, when I taught last semester, one of the biggest comments that I was getting was how passionate I was and how passion was rubbing off on them and how enjoyable the subject becomes, even though they came to the course, not expecting anything. So it's really heartwarming to see that my own passions are influencing others around me. And this could be the same for individuals who are also doing STEM outreaches. They're influencing these uh, youths to go into STEM. And I think one of our coordinators as well, Mika, uh, she mentioned that one of her main goals in an outreach is as, lo as, as long as she, uh, as long as one student becomes interested in STEM, then she'll be happy already. So, yeah. But when we get the evaluations back, like the, the entire outreach network, the core goal is around role models, right? You might not realize it when you're there, but the power you have to influence a young person is incredible. We see the stats on the other end. With one time in a classroom, you actually are changing kids minds about what's possible. So the science content is, I mean, that's great. 
But the fact that you're helping them understand the processes and the nature of science and you're showing them that young people can be really passionate and excited about these fields and that they can lead to really great lives. That's the power of what you are doing. And it's critical. Yeah. And really when it, it really changed my perspective on a lot of things when I've received those feedbacks. And honestly, I really, if, if, you know, if my current plan doesn't work out, then I was considering education because Mm -hmm. I fell in love with teaching. It's very rewarding. And I think it's it's very dynamic and it's a profession that always gives back and the the reward your the fruits of your labor are always worth it in the end. Yeah. And science is now, fun guys so yeah. <laughs> it's totally fun, yeah. <laughs> so now we've let's move past that and a bit of a bigger question here. Throughout your time with LTS all these years. So what's the biggest lesson that you've learned with LTS that you think everyone should learn at one point in their lives? Mm-hmm. That's a really tough question, right? So if I'm only limited to one, I think for me, it's about motivation. It, you will do the best in whatever career path you choose to take if you're motivated by your own intrinsic desire to learn something or to do something. And if you don't care really what other people's opinion of it is, but you're working with integrity and you're doing good, right? So I'm not talking about doing something crazy, but if you're, if you're focused on doing something good and you only care about your own drive and your own reason for doing it, you will go the farthest. As soon as you start thinking about extrinsic motivation and being motivated by awards or money or somebody else's opinion, that's when you can definitely get much, you can get burned out much more quickly. So I think for me, it's been internal motivation. Intrinsic motivation is is incredibly important. Awesome. Yes, I definitely agree. Motivation is one thing to keep you going, especially the intrinsic one. Um, that's all the questions that we have for your personal journey. Thank you so much uh, for such incredible insight. Yeah. Um, now let's go to more like specifics of LTS. Um, so there was uh, the Inter-American Network of Academic Sciences project. And there was a project uh, by LTS in collaboration with IANES. Um, and then there was a recent outreach in Nepal led by Serena McJarmid in July 2017. And so really, what do you, how do you think, so we're increasing our outreaches to these different places and mm-hmm. really underlines the importance of having outreaches to these underserved locations to really increase the reach. So my question is, how else do you think we can increase our reach to more diverse areas? Just to clarify, uh, both IANIS, which is is the the academies of science across North America, Central America, and South America, and that's what IANIS is standing for, and the work in in Nepal. So when Serena went, it was she was a volunteer. She was traveling, and I think she just happened to do some outreach under the the Let's Check Science guys. So the international work hasn't been us pushing out corporately, but it has been us being invited by other countries. So what's been really interesting over the last few years is that we're not necessarily trying to play on the world stage, but other countries that are wanting to do more in the area of STEM outreach are seeing us as a, as a beacon. And these are in many cases, countries that are uh, much more impoverished than Canada. And they're seeing the power of helping kids in their countries become more scientifically literate or or better skills in STEM area. And they're looking to us for guidance and help. And so the opportunities to be able to give back by supporting these uh, countries has been really, really interesting. We've learned, we've learned a lot. And some of the work with IANIS now is going to be helping countries like Argentina that don't have a national infrastructure that connects the science community into the education community. 
helping them learn what we've done, see if there's any lessons from how we've grown the outreach program and other things that might be transferable there and uh, other countries around South America. So it's an interesting time for us. We're not at this point in time really proactively trying to become, you know, a global empire or anything like that. But again, collaboration is pretty deep in our DNA. And so when others contact us to say, can you help us? We pretty much usually say, yep, we can help you understand what we've done and you will need to translate it for your own situation. Yeah, and it, that definitely centers back on a lot of the emphasis you have been putting on role models, and we are mm-hmm. becoming role models to other communities, and in a way, uh, becoming this you know, said beacon that other communities are looking to to actually mm-hmm. increase outreaches and just the quality of education and the accessibility of the education. Oh, thank you so much for that one. All right, and. Uh... Moving on to uh, the next question here is, uh, I want to ask you about this publication uh, done by Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, in which you took part in. I believe you were you, you were a part of the panel in uh, in analyzing the statistics here. Uh, so basically, the publication illustrates what young people should know about science and be able to do with it in the future. Can you please give us a little bit of an overview overview of the, this publication? Yeah, I was so humbled to be a part of that group. And just as an aside, it, the, the panel met in London, England, about three weeks of COVID was declared a pandemic. <laughs> so oh, wow. oh, really? like, I came back coughing a little bit and thought, oh, gosh, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> PISA, uh, PISA for short, is a a series of tests that are given to students in grade 10 globally. About 80 countries administer these tests, and they have three different domains, so reading and math and science. uh, So every three years, one of them is like the, the, the focal point. So PISA is done by the OECD, which is an international association right, for economic development yes. and cooperation. And the goal with PISA is to try to get a handle on how well young people around the world can know and do things that are deemed to be really important for their future. The PISA test in science hasn't really changed all that much over the years. And so they brought together this panel to reconceptualize what young people should be able to do in the future. So it was amazing. There was a Nobel laureate on the committee. There was about 14 different countries represented. And we spent a couple of days talking about how much things have changed and what young people are going to need to be able to know and do in the future. So recommendations from the panel went you know, well beyond the traditional subject domains to say you know, climate change. We need to do a better job teaching kids about systems, teaching kids about climate. Uh, we need to do a better job with digital literacy so that they are actually building the kinds of skills and, and attributes that they need for the future. And one thing that was really profoundly important for me was to hear some of the experts talk about the importance of identity. And this whole idea of science identity that needed or should be baked right into the test. Because if young Mm -hmm. people don't see themselves in that way or have belief that they can be successful, it doesn't matter how much we're kind of feeding them in a classroom situation. So some of the expert advice was we need to pay more attention to how people understand the nature and processes of science and see themselves as uh, somebody who can be successful and uh, bring even more value to that particular world. So we'll wait and see what happens with the expert advice because the test won't actually be done until 2025. And and I'm really hoping that it does, that the OECD does take the advice because it's a bellwether, right? This is a global test that have countries saying they're going to test us on this, that will start to drive curriculum change. And so if we can start to look at where the curriculum might go in the area of, say, science identity or science concept, like that would be pretty amazing. So do you think that uh, doing these tests would also allow countries to kind of 
help each other and provide necessary curricular material and further increase the quality mm. of education? I hope so. I mean, PISA has been around for a number of years. It's just that the science test itself hasn't changed too much. And this is when, you know, when you get the results back, you see the headlines that come out of you yeah. know, Canada dropped in rankings. It's really important to know that Canada is actually in the top tier of education around the world, and but we can't be complacent. And so if oh, PISA sure. starts to shake up the test and do things like more climate, more digital, more AI, what are some of the themes and the topics of the future, then that might actually influence curriculum in Canada as well as around the world. And uh, I definitely agree with that as well, because especially now times are changing very, very quickly. Uh, we got people like Elon Musk now talking about space, stuff like that. Jeff Bezos um, went to space. And Jeff, yeah, different companies. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I just wanted to mention another uh, one specific thing about this study from uh, PISA, or not not P uh, study per se, but that publication and proposal, I guess you can call. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's called the uh, PISA 2024 Science Strategic Vision Proposal. Mm-hmm. Right, that's what it's called. So uh, I just I noticed quite at the end of the of the literature at the subsection titled researching and Inval- evaluating information. Then this is for the people who want to check out the document. This is under the researching and evaluating information. The forty third point in summary explains that uh, the need of young people to differentiate between the quote unquote real science and the pseudoscience. So my question for you is, uh, why is this ability important, especially for young people? And how do organizations like LTS encourage this in the youth? Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you gave the bullet point because (laughs) I never remembered which was the bullet. (laughs) (laughs) But the essence of that was taking a look at what's happening kind of out there, whether it's on social media with disinformation, which is just incorrect and consciously propagated incorrect information or misinformation, might, which might be kind of um, not necessarily realizing that you're sending wrong information forward, has really shone a light on how important it is for people to understand how to differentiate. What are some of the questions that you need to be asking yourself before you decide that a source is correct, that a source is legitimate? Right. The other area where you start to see pseudoscience absolutely blazing is in the world of marketing, where you will start to see products being advertised as, you know, proven or scientifically tested. And if you read the small print, you might find out that there was a study with 14 people who tried the product. Uh. Right. And so that whole area really becomes this whole piece on pseudo pseudoscience. Public trust in science is actually pretty darn high. And if you look at some of the global studies on who is most trusted, scientists are right up there as one of the, the group that is probably always number one. So others might want to take advantage of that. And that's when you start seeing this whole idea of, of pseudoscience or you know incorrectly put forward data. Uh, and that's, that's definitely a problem. So we try to call it out in our program. We, we try to give kids the skills and the tools to ask the right questions. But the other thing that I've really come to realize is that you know, science, Western science is a way of looking at the world, right? It's not about black and white and right or wrong, but it is something that's constantly changing. And it's a way of asking questions. It's a way of understanding how the world works and it has challenges and it builds knowledge upon each other. So people who don't truly understand the nature of science is all about can swing very quickly to decide that it's about truth and falsehoods. Mm -hmm. And that's not science, right? That's not what science is about. So this bigger picture of how do you help people understand evidence, how to set tests up in ways that you can understand it and understand the limitations of what can be deemed kind of Western science or traditional approach that we would be studying when we're, we're doing the programs, right? You mentioned social media, which I think now plays such a big part in 
either the right oh, or yeah. mostly wrong, in my opinion, mostly wrong, incorrect information yeah. or misleading information, right? And uh, especially youth nowadays, you know, Instagram mm-hmm. every single day and, you know, they, they use the, these platforms a lot. And so I I say now more than ever, we definitely need to oh. be careful of, you know, what yeah. we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really believe in when you, when, when you post something on social media, you should consider not only an individual responsibility, but also like a social responsibility of the mm-hmm. information that you share, especially considering very influential individuals. Say for instance, if they're in healthcare, or their opinions are held in high regard, their social responsibility mm-hmm. overweighs their individual responsibility because the information that they say influences a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. So, That's right. And not even only if you're a doctor, you have a title. If you're friends with someone, your friends would listen to you because oh, they know you. For sure. Right? So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and actually, building on that, if you take a look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, your community. So they poll people all over the world uh, about issues around trust and scientists are still number one, but people in your friend network or people in your community are more likely to be deemed trustworthy mm-hmm. than government leaders, than oh. media, than business leaders. So Ramir, what you said was absolutely bang on. The responsibility that we have as individuals, because you are likely influencing to a significant extent your personal network, you have you have an obligation to you know give good information and cite your sources and really take that responsibility, uh, not lightly, but but very very legitimately. <laughs> citations guys that's important that's plagiarism <laughs> in lab reports <laughs> yeah. awesome all right i think in the interest of time we'll carry on to the last bit or the last segment that we have here talking a bit more about the future or what the lts what lts has in store in the future so can you give us a little sneak mm-hmm. peek about what our what its plans are with lts if if that is something yeah. you can disclose it's good. Like if, uh, my my journey itself probably has has indicated that I'm not somebody who really has a clear pathway or pathway. <laughs> yeah, five or ten which is down. good. Also, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> stay open, right? Stay open. Yeah, exactly. What what the through line has always been, kids. Every single thing that we've always done at Let's Talk Science from the very beginning has been how can we help young people develop the skills and identities that they need to be successful and contributing members of society. Our commitment to educators and to volunteers has been a pathway to get to the kids. That's not going to change, right? So whether we're going to do more programming about AI or if we're going to do you know, on the ground things in Nepal or South America, Some of the nuances and the details remain to be seen. Like, are we going to try to commercialize any of our activities? Well, maybe as we have to think about how to to grow and get revenues in and whatnot. So the, you know, the, the, the tweaking of it isn't necessarily fully baked yet, but we want to make sure that we have as many opportunities to provide free programming to young people in all parts of Canada, in both official languages, in a truly inclusive and accessible way is where we're really, really focused on right now. Last year through the pandemic, our programming was accessed still by almost 40% of schools across the country, if you can believe it, even during the pandemic. Crazy. Crazy. 1,700 communities accessed our programs, but it's not 100%. So we still have work to do, right? We got six and a half million kids in this country. That's fewer than in the state of California. We got work to do. We have, yeah, six and a half million kids. So like age three to 17, right? So we have, we have a lot of space to still work and take the programming, the kinds of programmings that we have, the people that we have, the collaborations and partnerships that we have to really ensure that these kids will be ready to face a future in which climate change is affecting us all. Digital is affecting all of our jobs, right? So I think that's the biggest sneak peek Mm -hmm. is it's probably not going to be a lot of rocket science. We're going to still keep doubling (laughs) down on the, on the work that we do and the amazing collaborations that we have. 
Yeah. Just to follow up though on like uh, these topics that you talk about AI and climate、mm-hmm. change, they're a bit, uh, uh, forgive the word, controversial in a way. There's a, there's a lot of debate, it's a hot topic. So, how do you kind of approach these conversations with individuals who might not be on? Same terms, you kind of in the same vein,、mm-hmm. how there's a lot of people who are vaccine hesitant, right? So, how do you tackle these difficult conversations?、Mm-hmm. Well, I try to go to the, the, the evidence for sure. And、yes. vaccine hesitancy might seem a little bit bigger because of some of the protests that have been going on. But in Canada, you know, over 85% of people are double vaxxed. So,、yeah. we've actually done really well in the country. And there are a lot of reasons why people do、uh, have concerns that we don't really have time to dive into right now. But when it comes to some of the, the more challenging, complicated topics, is to recognize that they're challenging and they're complicated. And it's not truth and false. It's about explaining here's the science as we know it, or the engineering as we know it. It's wrapping in the social implications and starting to have conversations about where are the concerns that science is only ever a part of what goes into making policy decisions. So, AI. It's happening in our lives already with recommendation engines. Here's how it's happening. Here's what's going on. Does that mean because you understand that, that you're ready to go to you know, fully personalized AI induced medical diagnoses or self driving cars? Well, you know, maybe not. So we need to have conversations. And I think that we've had the best luck when we say we're all learning. Here's what we know. Here's what we're doing. Here are the issues. That we need to be thinking about. Like, wh- what do you think? What are your concerns? And can we actually try、mm-hmm. to tackle this as a society? I always think about it. You really want to, when you're tackling these situations, how I would approach it is you really need to ask the questions, get their、Dude. understanding,、mm-hmm. then you educate, start to educate them, and then you empower them to encourage others to ask questions.、Mm-hmm. So、mm-hmm. in the end, it becomes a community thing instead of an individual thing. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you. And to end things off,、um, to end the podcast, and just a, a tidbit for the audience. So, what advice do you have for individuals who are looking into getting into LTS or are currently in LTS or just in general to individuals looking into STEM? Well, for, for everybody already involved with Let's Talk Science, thank you. Like, you are, you are making a difference that you. May or may not really realize at the time that you're actually working with these kids, but the staying power and the stories that I am so lucky to hear of people saying, I'm here now because I had this really cool experience when I was in grade six and I never realized that I could have done that. And it was about, you know, let's talk science or the challenge. Like it's just incredible to see that.、Uh, when it comes to thinking about pathways, my advice is always to stay open to opportunities and be willing to say yes. I, I think we often are trying to train people to say no. And my Best path has been because I've trusted people who have been willing to take a chance and have invited me to serve on a committee when I thought, I don't know anything about this. And I was like, no, 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 you, you can learn this, you can try this. And, and that's what really starts to stretch. You need to know your balance so you don't kind of burn out. But being open to opportunity, being open to giving back, it will come back to you in spades. Wow, that's thank you so much. That inspires me. <laughs> well, you're、I'm、giving ready, back. Like, look what you're doing. A weekend to、yeah. do this amazing podcast、yeah. just to talk. I just I so value what you're doing for the organization. Thank you. thank you so much. Yeah. And really, the main the main focus of our podcast is to increase that accessibility, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, our podcast, while we do say it's for high school students, it's not. Limited to high school students. It's for everyone who likes podcasts. And really, during the pandemic, we're trying to think of a way to further increase our reach. And podcasts were the way to go. And Audrey,、mm-hmm. if you're listening, we thank you so much for pioneering thank you, the LTS podcast. Yeah. And Bonnie, thank you so much for all the incredible insight, the history,、mm-hmm. and your passions. And 
you started a ball rolling, which、mm-hmm. is now so big. It's this entire organization and movement for accessibility, equity, and education、mm-hmm. that allows individuals to find themselves within the field and encourages them to go in the field. It's been a delight talking with you both, and I applaud all the work that you are doing as well. So thank you everyone for listening, and I'll cut it here because me and Ramir are gonna. There's like this、uh, this feel that we have that we're yeah. <laughs> we'll cut that out, Dory.、Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. No, I'm gonna keep it in. <laughs> Can I do it? Yes, 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 yes. yes. To our listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you learned something new.、Uh, remember to follow us at LTS underscore U of M on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to be updated on our upcoming events. Also, feel free to follow and subscribe to wherever you listen to our podcasts.、Um, we are pretty much everywhere:、uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and more. Just search up "Let's Talk Sciences Declassified STEM Survival Guide," and you should find us. And、uh, together, let's declassify the classified. <laughs>